All right, so our gospel definition here at Real Life is this, that Jesus the King died in our place and rose as our defender, inviting us into a relationship with the Father where we can live our real lives through the Holy Spirit's power as we daily surrender to his reign and wait for his return. So Jesus came to fulfill the law and establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, right? That was what he prayed, God, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Matthew 5, basically the introduction to what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out for those who have been following him for the last few months what a disciple of his should look like. Only he's not dealing with the behaviors of people. He's dealing with the beliefs. So, so he's, he's dealing with the heart instead of just the hands. Jesus is telling us how to live in his new kingdom as his disciples, how to place ourselves under his rule and reign. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, or what Matthew calls or identifies as Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus is stating several Old Testament commands, right? We've looked at several of them already in this series. And he kind of just states this Old Testament command, and, and, then, um, and then he kind of just shares his thoughts. And he doesn't necessarily like address that command. He doesn't really say this is good or this is bad or, or anything. He just says, here's the command, and then I say to you, and then he lays it out. And so he's kind of fleshing those commands out in the light of the highest ethics of the new kingdom, of, of Jesus' kingdom, of God's kingdom. And the highest ethics of, of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, are that we love God and love others. Right? He said everything else, the law and the prophets, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, and then all the rest of the Old Testament, the prophets and all the things that they wrote, all of that hangs or has a foundation in these two commands, love God and love others. So what Jesus has been talking about and what we've been looking at over the last three weeks and, and we're going to continue on for two more weeks after today are the deep issues of the heart. See, the people of Israel thought that they were pretty good at following the law, like not murdering, right? Most of them were okay with that, with that one. Uh, not sleeping with someone when you're still married to somebody else. And then making sure that they went through the proper steps and they got their certificate of divorce to their wife before they sent her off on her own. Like they followed the law. They were pretty good about that hand stuff, about the behavior kind of things. They had those behaviors down. But it was clear as Jesus is talking to them and even in his interaction in the rest of the biographies of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and, and John, it, it's clear that um, the people's hearts didn't change. So um, they didn't murder, but they did get angry with other people. Right? So they didn't take it to its end result. They didn't murder people, um, but they were angry with them and bitterness in their heart. And they let that change the way they dealt with people and how they 
how they looked at them. They weren't technically unfaithful to their wives before divorce, but they were they were mentally unfaithful. And, and then they would divorce their wife just to shack up with their latest crush. So, so they were like committing legal adultery. Well, Jesus is connecting the, the feelings or beliefs of the heart to our behavior, what, what we do with our hands. And, and so he says it's these deep issues of the heart that sabotage our relationships. And, and it's a problem, this, this sabotage of relationships is a problem in the kingdom because relationships are the key to the highest ethics of the kingdom, right? You, you can't love God and love others if you've got terrible relationships. Like everything that we deal with in Christianity and as people of faith is the relationship, either our relationship to God or our relationship to other people. So our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationships are of equal importance. And so basically Jesus is telling his new followers that the way that they're to show love for God is by loving others well. And that loving others well is a direct reflection of the condition that's in their hearts. So Jesus has sat down on a hillside on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee to teach all of these people who've been following him for the last several months what's required to be his disciples. And before we get to the text today, I want to make sure that we all know what a disciple is. And so this is how we've defined a disciple here at, at Real Life. A disciple is someone who looks more like Jesus every day. And, and the way that we do that, the way that that happens is through the process of renewing our hearts and our minds. So as our hearts and our minds change, as we read the word, as we let God's word penetrate our, our hearts, those deep issues that Matthew 5 is talking about, as we allow that to happen, it begins to change our behaviors. So our beliefs change our behaviors. And so in Matthew 5, we're learning that it's out of our beliefs and our behaviors that others see Jesus in us. And, and this is a struggle for us, right? As, as Christians, it's a struggle because we often feel like if we say the right thing to people, like, you're a horrible sinner going to hell, you should come to church with me. By the way, that's never a good way to start that conversation. But we, we feel like that, right? And so there's a disconnect because we're, we're telling people, you need Jesus, but then we might be acting like we're the ones who really need Jesus. And so it takes both of those things. Our beliefs and our behaviors have to work together if we're ever going to allow others to see Jesus in us. Those two things have to be the same. So what we're studying in this series is really as much a struggle for us today as it was for those sitting on the hillside listening to Jesus. See, being a disciple is difficult, um, and for some, it's too difficult. But, but that's the call, right? 
if, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, if we're going to follow him, if, if we're going to claim him as our king, there's some things that need to happen in our lives. Our beliefs and our behaviors, they need to line up because we become, in the kingdom of God, ambassadors for others. Like, God has called us to, to be little Jesuses in, in each of our uh, neighborhoods and in our work environments and all the places that we go so that people might see Jesus in us because of not just what we claim to believe, but, but by what we do, right, our behaviors. And they might see Jesus in us and then want to have that relationship as well. So, let's um, jump in to today's bit of tension from from Jesus. Does it feel, let me take a step out of that for a second before we get to the text. Does it feel to anybody else um, like Jesus as we go through each week, like Jesus just takes this little spiritual hand grenade and he just kind of throws it in the room and he goes, good luck. <laughs> Walks away. Well, that's how it feels for me anyway. Um, it's like we deal with these things and it's just like, it's just like, boom, this thing just blows up. And then we're, we're kind of spending the week kind of picking up the pieces and going, okay, we'll come back to this next week. Anyway, well, here we go again. All right. So uh, Matthew chapter uh, five, I think we're in 33 this morning. Yeah. Again, you have heard it said, right? Like that's kind of how he starts everything. You've heard it said. Uh, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall for perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, um, just so you know, that this little thing, um, you've heard that it was said, this, this bit of information, it's not a direct quote from an Old Testament command like the last few weeks have been, right? Um, so this, Jesus is kind of pulling from um, some, some commands and some other traditions, and he's kind of pulling this all together, and he's going, okay, um, you, like, you know this, but it's not this specific command. You, you know it because you grew up as a Jewish person, an Israelite, and, and this is what you've been taught, okay? So if you try to go back to um, Leviticus or Exodus or something like that, you try to find a command that says this, you, it's not going to be word for word. So it kind of pulls from a bunch of different things, and, and maybe you'll see why in, in a few minutes. But, but this was the idea, like, like they understood you shouldn't swear falsely, and you should perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, and anything more than that comes from evil. So, um, maybe your first thought this morning is, as we read kind of the Old Testament um, idea, maybe your first thought is like, whew, <laughs> I dodged a bullet on that one. We're not talking about anger, which we all deal with. I'm not talking about divorce uh, again uh, or sexual sin. And so, oh, okay. Like, like I, I haven't um, sworn any oaths to God or anybody else this week. So like I can check out this morning uh, kind of, kind of deal. Um, like most of us probably couldn't even remember the last time we swore an oath to anybody, uh, especially to God. Um, and, and, and maybe like it seems to happen on TV all the time. I always get it 
upset, you know, Andrew and I are watching a show or something. And, and I always see on TV parents promising their children things that they have absolutely no control over. <laughs> they go, oh, I pro- you're going to be okay. I promise. And I'm like, they're going to be dead in 30 seconds. What are you doing? Just like, anyway. So, so um, unless you've done that, you know, you've, you've made these promises to somebody. And, and, and you, you know, I swear to God that I'm going to do this. Uh, thing, you, you're probably like, okay, I'm off the hook this week. Um, and, and so you, you might be tempted to just kind of go, well, this doesn't really apply to me, and so I'm, I'm going to just kind of um, check out this, this morning. But on the, on the surface, this, this doesn't seem like it affects us here, like 2021, America, we're, you know, enlightened, and we've got all these kind of things figured out, and we understand, like, like we just don't really take oaths. It's not a normal part of our lives, unless, of course, maybe you've been in front of a judge or jury in the last week or so, and you, you may have had to take an, an oath um, there. But through this series, uh, Jesus is taking seemingly kind of surface issues, right? Um, don't murder, don't c- commit adultery, um, and, and now he's saying don't commit oaths. And it's like these surface issues, issues that people, and I think the Jewish people, and and even probably for most of us, we would go, well, I don't really have a problem with that. Like, um, like I haven't murdered anybody in my lifetime, or, uh, you know, I'm doing okay with, like, like most of the time we hear what Jesus says, and we go, I don't really have a problem with that. But as we really begin to look at what Jesus was saying, and, and we begin to dig a little deeper. We begin to understand um, the context of what he was talking about. It just, it, it gets deeper, right? And, and so Jesus is going deeper in, um, in, in this part of Matthew 5. He's exposing the motives of the heart. And so even if you don't necessarily struggle with the issue of murder, let's say, you, you do get angry. We all get, get angry. Um, and so today, as, as we kind of read that and go, okay, like, I don't really get oaths, I don't really take oaths, let's just um, kind of take the journey with, with Jesus this morning and kind of see where it goes. Because I think you'll be surprised at how maybe the Israelites understood this um, from Jesus and, and certainly how it fits in, in our lives. So I think it would probably be beneficial for us to, to look at like, what the heck was Jesus even talking about? <laughs> Don't make oaths, and if you do make an oath, you swear, you know, like, you better, you better um, t- take it uh, seriously. So um, let me just give you kind of a scenario of, uh, like, what went on or what was going on in Jewish culture at the, at the time, um, even uh, for a long time before Jesus. So um, as the Israelites come out of Egypt and God brings them out by a mighty hand out of Egypt and he leads them to Mount Sinai and they get the law. So from that time um, forward, this is kind of what's been going on in, in Jerusalem or, or in, uh, in Israel. So imagine for Mike, this is going to be weird, okay? Just, you're used to weird. Just go with me on it. Imagine for a moment that you are a Jewish uh, olive farmer. There's a lot of olive groves, uh, olive farmers back then. So you are a Jewish olive farmer, uh, and life is great, right? Like you got lots of olives, you got lots of oil. Um, you've got the nicest grove on the block, 
And uh, olives were a hot commodity back then, right? Everybody needed olives. Everybody needed oil. It was a, it was a big deal. And so, you know, you're doing pretty good financially. You've got a big farm. You've got the greatest uh, olives, the best, the biggest, the plumpest, you know, olives uh, on, on the block or in the area. And everything is good for you. But um, down the road from you a little bit are the Silversteins. Um, and they have an olive grove as well. Um, but they grow those nasty green olives that they got to stick them little red devil things inside. Um, and, and so, like, n- nobody likes them, right? Because everybody knows olives are supposed to be black, not green. And so nobody likes green olives. And so, like, the silver signs, they're trying to grow their olive business, but they got, they got crappy olives and nobody likes them. But everybody likes your olives. So you can imagine that there's some tension there but between you and um, your olive growing, uh, green olive growing neighbors um, down the road. And so there's, like, this competition there, but not really a competition on your part, right? Because you've got the olives that everybody um, likes, and, uh, and so uh, you are fine with them, but they are not fine with you, okay? So that's kind of the scenario. So um, one day, the green olive farmer's donkey goes missing. He gets up in the morning, and, he, and he's going to go about his day, go to his field. And the first thing he does, he's got to go take care of his animals. And he goes in, and he noticed that his best donkey, his favorite donkey, his biggest, strongest donkey is, is missing, and, and immediately he assumes that you must have taken it. And, and maybe it's um, harvest time for your olives or, or whatever. And so he's like, oh, I'll, I'll, bet, I'll bet they needed my donkey. They just came and took my donkey and they stole it. And so he's angry, right? He's mad because he's just sure that his arch enemy, his nemesis, has taken his donkey. And so he goes into the town elders and uh, goes before them because like, they just kind of went to the city uh, square and they were all kind of there to deal with these kind of issues. And so he goes to the town elders and he says, um, my neighbor down the street with the black olives, he stole my donkey. And he, and he makes his complaint and he's very serious and he's very um, convincing. And it's, I, I swear to you that he stole my donkey donkey. I know he took my donkey because he's evil and he's underhanded and, and, I, and I hate him and he hates me. It's just terrible. And I just know that he took my donkey. In fact, in fact, I saw him take my donkey. I swear to God, or he would have said, I swear to Yahweh that he took my donkey. I saw him take it. Now, um, he didn't see you take his donkey because you didn't um, take his donkey. He has no idea really if it was you uh, or not you. So what he's doing here is he's borrowing from the goodness and the holiness and the purity of God in order to make his claim seem more legitimate. Does that make sense? So he's saying, I swear to God, because everybody knows that God is pure and holy and righteous and God would never lie. And so if you swear by God, by what you say must be the, the truth, right? And so he uses God, he borrows from God's goodness to make his claim seem more legitimate, even though he knows that he's lying. And, and while most of us don't typically swear by God, we do 
borrow from the character of others to prop up our own weak character. For instance, you ever had a conversation with someone um, and during the conversation they kind of slide another person's name in, into, your, into your talk? Um, so let, let me give you an example. I, um, <laughs> this just fits really well. Uh, I've been having lunch uh, once a month with, um, with Bill Young. And um, so I'll tell you who Bill Young is in a minute if you don't know him. So I, I, uh, I, I'd go home and I'm like, uh, Andrea comes home from work. I'm like, hey, how's your day? Oh, fine. What did you do today? I'm like, oh, I went and had lunch with Bill Young. Uh, you know, the mayor. So... <laughs> So, so Bill Young, um, he is the mayor, but he, he is Kim's uh, um, son-in-law. And um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting. So I'm talking to Andrew, and I'm just like, yeah, I, just went, I went and had lunch with, with the mayor. So I, I mentioned that, I think, the first time that I told her that I had, had done this. And, um, and so the next time, she's like, oh, what would you do today? And I went and had lunch with Bill. And she said, oh, you went and had lunch with the mayor. And then that just kind of comes up every time. <laughs> Ooh, la la, you know, you're important. So, um, like, you, you know people that do that, and, and maybe you've, you've done that before, right? You're in a conversation with somebody, maybe you don't know them very well, and, um, and, and so in that conversation, you, you might or they might just say, well, you know, I, I know so-and-so, or I did this with so-and-so. And, and what we're doing is we're like, I don't have a rapport with you. I don't really have a relationship with you. Maybe I don't know you very well. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to borrow from the stature or, or maybe, um, you know, the, ex, the expected, like the position of this person to make myself um, look better, sound better, feel better in the, in the conversation. And it, and it seems to me like the, the way this happens most is if I'm having a conversation with somebody who I think uh, is important in, in life or uh, society or whatever, I'm going to say somebody who I think might be somewhere equal, in, you know, like, so if I was having a conversation with one of the city commissioners or something, then I might say, oh, yeah, I had lunch with the mayor, right? So, um, so I'm tr trying to gain traction in the relationship and maybe even trying to gain uh, upper hand in the relationship by borrowing from the character, the position of somebody else. See how that works? Um, I've been around people in, in the church world. Um, just a, another example, been around people in the church world and in conversation, like just normal, everyday, average conversation with them, they will say things um, like, uh, like God, um, God prompted me to go to this place or do this thing. Um, or, uh, I don't know, I, I, I felt God tell me to do Whatever. And there have been a few people in my life that I've, I've been around who, who use that, who get so comfortable with that language that it, it kind of seems like they never do anything or go anywhere. Like they get up in the morning and every decision from that point on um, is made because God has prompted them to go there. God's told them to go there. God's urged them to go there. And, and so just in that conversation, they were like, well, I wasn't going to go to the bank first, but God 
you know, kind of put that in my, so I went to the bank first. And, and what happens there is um, we get so used to saying that kind of thing that all of a sudden you, you eliminate all challenges to every aspect of your life. So this person used this um, phrasing so often and so much that you couldn't challenge them about anything that they did. Because what they've just done is they've basically said, everything I do and everything I say is prompted by God. Well, how do you argue with God? (laughs) If God told you to go there, how can I argue with that? And so it's this subconscious thing where we're borrowing from God's character, right, to support the decisions that we make. I've had people come to me and say, um, well, I've, been real, I've been thinking about getting divorced for a long time and, and, um, and, and God has just confirmed to me that my decision is the right decision. I, I even had somebody years ago tell me the reason that God had let them out of their marriage was because they were young when they made that decision. They didn't really know what they were doing. Well, okay. <laughs> but I could go to the Old Testament and point out a few places where a guy said, as he was coming home from a victory in war, the first thing that comes out of my house will be dedicated to God. And his daughter came out, his only daughter came out first, um, and he killed her because of his oath. So... I don't know if we can get out of those things that easily. I've known pastors who've gotten to the point in in their lives where they have gotten in front of their congregations and they have said, I have reached a point in my life and my, my spiritual growth where I no longer sin. Wow. Okay, Jesus. I'm pretty amazing. Um, so what have they just done? They've borrowed from the character of God, right? God, like Jesus never sinned. He's the only person in history that never sinned in in his life. In fact, scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if I say, um, I've reached a point in my life where I no longer sin, you don't have any opportunity to challenge me on anything that I do or say or think because I no longer sin. This is how it works. So we drop names, we in, invoke God, we pretend we're sinless, and, and we do this for several reasons. And I think the top two um, have got to be, like, uh, we want to make ourselves look better than we think we are, um, uh, or we're borrowing from somebody else's credibility to boost our own. Um, so we're going to borrow something from somebody and we're going to say well I know this person and so you probably should trust them and if you trust them you should trust me right so when the farmer we'll go back to the olive uh, story when the farmer invoked the name of God he expected to be taken more seriously since God is holy and and just and honest and pure anybody listening would conclude that the one using his name must also be honest and have pure motives. Like he wouldn't swear to God unless he was telling the truth, so he must be telling the truth. So um, just so you know, the olive uh, grower, this is a completely made-up story. Okay, I mean, it's just made it up. But, but the reality of what happened in the story is, is true. People will still from 
God's character to try and make up for the deficits in their own and then pretend like it was no big deal. All right, but it was a big deal to God. Look at these verses in Exodus and um, Leviticus. In Exodus 27, God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then in Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord. So you see what's going on here. Uh, The olive farmer was lying and he was using the name of God to support or boost up his his lie. What do we do when we do that? We profane the name of, of God. We bring shame and guilt to the name of God. And and honestly, the same thing happens today. When our beliefs and our behavior, when our heart and our hands don't line up, they're not saying the same thing to those people around us, what do we do? We're making God look bad. Because as followers of his, as disciples of his, we ought to to be living this way, right? And everybody knows that this is the way a, a follower should live. So God takes his name and his character seriously. And because the people of Israel will misusing God's name, he, he gives them these commands. He just says, stop it. Stop doing that. So here's what the religious leaders did, right? This was a common practice to borrow from God's character to boost our own. And so God says, don't, don't do it. And, and here's what the leaders did. They came up with an elaborate and confusing set of rules for swearing. Right? So this whole big list of uh, things. It listed what you could swear by um, that would carry weight, that would be serious, and then what you could swear by that didn't really matter that much. So if you swear by one thing, it, it, it carries a lot of weight and it supports your claim and people would go, oh, he must be serious. He swore by um, that. But if you swear by this other thing over here, people go, oh, don't take him too seriously because he only swore by, you know, whatever. So the people had lost sight of what was sacred and what wasn't. And so the, the religious leaders, um, they basically said this. If you um, swear by the altar on, on which you make sacrifices, if you swear by the altar, that's not really a big deal. So if you were in an argument with somebody and you said, I swear by, by the altar in the temple um, that I'm telling the truth, they would go, uh, you're not telling the truth because you just swore by the altar and the altar doesn't make any difference at all. But if you say, I swear by the sacrifice on the altar that I'm telling the truth, they go, oh, that must be serious, right? That's a serious, that's a serious argument right there. We better listen to him. I, and all of this is basically akin to, um, you remember a Christmas story? You say, um, I dare you, I double dog dare you, I, what's the next one? Triple dog dare you, right? And, and so th- this is really what it was. Um, a dare is not really a big deal, but a triple dog dare is a huge deal, and you've got to do that, right? So that's what the religious leaders did with these things that people could swear by. Um, the temple was like you could swear by that and, and lie, and it was no big deal. But if you swore by the gold in the temple, that was a really huge deal. 
the problem with this was it was such an elaborate um, scheme of what you could do and, and what you could what was sacred and what wasn't sacred um, that, that basically nobody paid attention to it and the people still lied and leveraged the name of God or the things of God to, to cover up their their own weakness um, if you go to Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 to 22, you can read more uh, about that. It, it gives us whole list, and Jesus was like, you swear by this, you swear by that, and, and none of it matters, and don't pay attention. So if you like, look at it more, um, Matthew uh, 23. But, but this idea of, of swearing and, and what you're supposed to swear, it even goes um, deeper than what you, what you swear by. Since God um, made Israel a nation, right? He called Abraham, he protected for them, he provided them, he led them to the land of Canaan, he gave them the commands. Um, he told them that their lives should be marked by honesty and trustworthiness and openness towards one another. So um, he told Jewish businessmen, when you go to the market and you're going to weigh out your goods to other people, you're not supposed to have two different sets of scales, one honest or accurate set of scales and, and one faulty, dishonest uh, set of scales. And, and so those people that you liked or, or were, um, were, had high socioeconomic standing, you, you would use the good scales for that and you would make sure you weighed out exactly what they needed. But if somebody in a lower position came uh, or maybe you were buying something from them, you would use your faulty scales so you wouldn't have to pay them as much. Um, he also says that you weren't supposed to take somebody's tunic for a debt and keep it overnight. Because if you did, they might not have anything to sleep on that evening. You weren't supposed to um, charge interest on loans to other Israelite people. You're supposed to pay a day's wage at the end of the day and not cheat or deal falsely with one another. And so the Israelite people were supposed to be as different from other nations as the God they served was different from the false gods of the nations around them. So the way that the Israelite people dealt with one another was supposed to be open and, and honest with one another. Um, do you remember those commercials where uh, people of all shapes and sizes and colors gathered on the hillside to share a, a, a beverage? Do you remember by that? It's a show of peace and harmony, and it's um, brought to you by a beverage that... Um, uh, rot your gut and has zero health uh, benefits uh, and no way, shape, or form has ever bought humanity uh, any racial healing w whatsoever. Um, I'd like to buy the world a... Yeah, yeah, that. Um, that's a devil beverage in my, in my house, uh, by the way. Uh, so, I, uh, look, um, so, so Coca-Cola, basically, according to uh, everybody on the interwebs and, and virtually everyone except Coke, who uh, last I heard still denied it, uh, Co Coke actually had cocaine in it when it first came out um, on the market. It was a normal um, thing. And so Coke, like, like goes, no, that's not right. And I'm like, it's in your ingredient list. Uh, I don't understand that. Uh, anyway, um, so they, they would play this commercial and everybody would sing and it would just fill your heart and it would be so great. I remember as a kid watching this commercial. Um, it didn't make me want to drink a Coke, but I remember watching. It was like, oh, warm, fuzzy in, inside my heart. It's, uh, it's really great. The only problem is that Coke has never brought anybody together. 
Like this is what we're supposed to do, right? We're buy the world of Coke, and why can't we all just get along? Um, the problem is that very few people like Coke um, because it's a vastly inferior product. Uh, and so what, what, what Coke actually does is cause tension between people because you go, hey, do you want a Coke? And I go, no, get that crap away from me. Give me a Pepsi or Dr. Pepper or something. I don't want a Coke. Um, I don't want the, so, so Coke actually caused problems between people. It didn't bring them together. Um, uh, so what, what is this called? It's called spin. We take something that, that doesn't, like, a beverage doesn't bring people, like, it's just not the thing. But we give this image and we put it out there and we go, this is the way it is. And people go, oh, uh, look, that's so wonderful. It makes them feel good. So I want to go out and buy a Coke. When we spin the truth, we're not being honest with ourselves and we're not being honest with others. And, and that's what Jesus is really getting at in these verses in, in Matthew 5. It, we're borrowing from the character of someone else. Or we're borrowing from the character of God. We're being dishonest about our own abilities or who we are. Dr. Mackey, uh, Tim Mackey shares um, the, the reason for this. He says this, we want more than anything to know and, and be known. Like this is a core thing that we as humans want. We want to, to know and be known by each other. But at the same time, we're perpetually hiding from each other because we think that if they really knew who I am, they wouldn't like me. So we borrow from the character of somebody else because we go, if they really knew who I was inside, if they really knew who I was in the heart, they, they wouldn't like me. They'd reject me. And so the truth is we're afraid. We're afraid that we won't be liked. Um, we're afraid that we won't be enough. We're afraid that we won't measure up to somebody else's um, standard or expectations. Um, and so to compensate for that fear, we violate the highest ethics of the kingdom of God and we hide who we are behind the masks of importance and self-righteousness or, or faked or feigned honor. And that's why Jesus gives us this bit of advice for how to live in the kingdom. And so Jesus' um, solution to our fear is our bottom line today. In fact, it's, it's one of our um, core values right over here, that we put away the masks, that we be ourselves when we're dealing with other people. So Jesus tells us how to deal with our feelings of insignificance and unimportance, how to address the fear that we have, that if someone knew the real me, I wouldn't be enough. The flaws in my character are just too great for any real relationship. And, and, and here's what we need to hold on to. Jesus knows you. And he still loves you. He knew every deep, dark secret that you try to hide from everybody else in the world. And he still chose you. When we know how much we're worth to Jesus, we start not caring so much about our worth to others. 
Jesus the King died in your place and rose as your defender, inviting you into a relationship with a Father where you could live your real life through the Holy Spirit's power. As you daily surrender to Jesus' reign and wait for his return. See, Jesus didn't wait for you to be perfect. He didn't care about how much you knew or who you knew or even how much you've sinned. He loved you for you and not for who you pretend to be. Living in the kingdom of God means living opened and honest lives in relationship with others and surrender to Jesus. And so I wanna leave you with this question this morning. How can I be more open and more honest about who I really am with others and with myself this week? How can I get honest? And, and, and I think that the first step in that process is to get honest with God. When we hear the gospel, that Jesus the King died in our place and rose as our defender, our response to the overwhelming love of Jesus for us is to first repent. And and repent means recognizing where we've screwed up, things that we've done in in life that that doesn't bring honor and, and glory to God, our creator. And so when we repent, we get honest with God about who we really are in our heart. And then it's through that repentance, through that recognition of our own sin, our own failure, our own shortcomings, that we begin to follow. And and we follow in in failure. (laughs) And we follow in the midst of our our faults and and, and we mess up and and we, we clash with people and our struggles in our relationship. And and so we go back to repentance so that we can come back to following. So this week, how can you be honest with yourself by being honest with God, that vertical relationship, and then begin to be more honest with the people around you? God, I've blown it. I've messed up. I'm not perfect. Let me tell you what I think is the very simplest thing that you can do, and yet it's one of the hardest things to do. When you blow it, go to the person and say, I'm sorry. That gets real hard in in two areas in in our lives. It's, It's real hard with our family. I don't know why that is. But, but it is. And, and, and if I speak just for myself, as the, as the father, it's real hard. <laughs> it's real hard to go to my kids and go, you know what? I, I probably blew that out of proportion. It was probably too hard on you. I, I, I shouldn't have handled That's not the way God wants me to handle those situations. And I'm sorry. There's a lot of people, a lot of generations who thinks as, a, as an adult, as a, as a father, as a parent, you don't apologize to your children. But, but I think that's an incredible example. When you screw up, just own it. Say, I'm sorry, and I'll try to do better. The, the other place I think that is really difficult is at work. 
when you're with people who are not necessarily followers of Jesus. And so um, maybe you'd let your anger get the best of you and you said some things or did some things that, that, that weren't... Um, that weren't the way that you want to live and they, they certainly weren't honoring to God. What happened if you went back to that person you were angry with or, or just the people who were around and who heard it? What if you just went to them and said, you, you know, um, that is not the person that I want to be. That is not the person I believe God wants me to be. And, and I'm sorry for acting that way. Get honest who you are and then be honest with those around you that's what Jesus was calling us to as disciples in Matthew 5 let's pray God it is difficult to be a disciple and yet that's what you've called us to 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 live like Jesus in in our daily lives wherever they that takes us and whatever we do and so, God, we just come to you this morning and go, look, we, we've, we've failed, we've blown it as, as, uh, as parents, as, as workers, as children, as siblings, uh, as neighbors, um, as drivers, sharing the road with others. We've blown it. Um, and, and so, God, we, just like, we just want to recognize our own sin and then recommit ourselves to, to following you and, and to be honest with you about who we are, and then out of that, to be honest with those around us. And so, God, would you help us do that? Um, help us do that this week. Thanks, God, for what we're learning in Matthew chapter 5 and the deeper issues of the heart that need to be dealt with so that our heart and our hands both say the same thing. Help us to be people like that in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a few things to... Um, uh, share with you really, really quickly. Uh, the first one, I guess, is uh, next week, uh, part five of this series, we're going to be talking about vengeance or taking vengeance. So that um, ought to be fun. Uh, join us for that. Uh, next is, what's next, Julie, on the next slide? There we go. Uh, uh, June 13th, that's next Sunday, is our um, rummage sale here at the church. So if you have items, if you've been um, collecting items to bring, Bring them next Sunday morning uh, just out to the front here, and we're going to set up out front, and uh, that would be awesome. It's going to go from 11 to 4 next Sunday. We're going to have hot dogs and chips and drinks um, here that are going to be available. The rummage sale is all donations, so um, tell your friends. Go to our Facebook page. Share that. Uh, share this image um, to your social media and, and invite other people um, to do it. And uh, Jessica, raise your hand. Uh, this is Jessica over here. Uh, if you can help um, next Sunday after church, like set up tables out there um, or help during the afternoon until four or some uh, portion of that, um, get, get with Jessica. Uh, before you leave today and uh, be great if we had a few more hands um, there also I mean I see you but I don't <laughs> know why you're here uh, also uh, softball if you want to play softball right uh, see Jeff and, <laughs> and we play um, at 730 on Friday everyone 730 at Friday at the Lake Fields be uh, our cheerleaders you want to come um, support the team but also uh, they're having uh, rehearsal not rehearsal I mean it's rehearsal I guess. Practice. <laughs> Dress room. Uh, practice, yes. Uh, Wednesday night at 
5.45 at Crystal's house. So um, you get to be on the church. Uh, check with Jeff and, and he'll get you whatever, right? Is that good? Okay, good. What do you want? You hate when I do this. Yeah. <laughs> I did this because you don't want me to do this, but. Oh. Um, okay, so I'm going to cry if I look at you. Okay, <laughs> so um, dad's been feeling like dizzy recently. Oh. <laughs> and um, short of breath. And he didn't know why. Anyway, long story short, he's getting a pacemaker on Tuesday in the morning. So uh, <laughs> you're not old. You're great. Thanks. Um, so anyway, um, I'm just asking you all to join me in prayer really quick. Um, if you want to come up here, you can. But also, it's awkward, so you can stay in your seat if you want to. Um, but yeah, if you'll just join me in prayer really quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, my dad and our pastor. And I know um, he means a lot to all of us. Um, so I just pray that this surgery goes well and um, you keep him safe. And um, we know that we trust you and we love you. And um, it's in your hands and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks. Okay, bye everyone. Thanks everybody. See you. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope You'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.